Isn't it time that all small local campaigns pull their resources, knowledge and skills to become a stronger force and more professional and then more resilient against repression? I mean, that's really what we're going to be discussing today in uh, the, the People's Countryside Environmental Debate podcast with me, William Manklo. I'm one of the co-hosts. Hello. Good to have you along board, on board here. Um, I'm a photographer and do a weekly live show on my Shot and Angle channel, which is about, well, my Facebook page, which is about creativity and photography and all that type of thing. Alongside me at the other end of this phone call or this a Zoom call, I should say, uh, is my co-host, as always. Who are you? What do you do? What's your star sign? Do you like Jaffa Cakes? I, uh, I'm Stuart the Wild Man Mabber. I'm not bothered about Jaffa Cakes. Take them or leave them. Uh, I'm the co-presenter of this podcast and uh, my job is making nature part of people's life in the hope that it will make them want to protect it. And this podcast, we, we approach the world scale issues, trying to give them a local feel, and we aim to challenge beliefs, mindsets, and habits. William, we talk about nature, philosophy, human condition, sustainability, a whole range of things. I was saying to you the other day, actually, Stuart, how those uh, those topics that we don't even consider or haven't even considered because they, they, they pop up in natural conversation are sometimes, are sometimes the most impactful and the most important because it they... It's not something we've even considered. The only way we've been able to get there is have, to have this discussion and have mm. this, this talk about uh, this yeah. specific issue. Uh, we are opinionated. We like to think of ourselves as just having a good conversation about yeah. the, the topic in front of us. And these conversations need having. We often say that they need having. Not enough people explore them. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. we hope by exploring them with us, you learn something new and maybe you connect with others. Of, of a similar viewpoint and similar worries. Yeah, I'd like to point. Anyway, I'd say I'd like to point out at this point as well that neither myself or Stuart are feeling feeling our best at the moment. Stuart, you're not well at the moment, are you? Um, I'm not. I had my first jab at the weekend, and I'm just I, I had some reaction to it. Uh, nothing major, but neither of us are feeling a hundred percent. But we're still here. We're still debating the the, the big issues. We're still talking about yeah. discussing these questions um, because we want to be that friendly voice in your ear, even when we're not feeling our yeah. best. And I'm glad this one isn't being filmed, William. This episode, because I look rough. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm good at hiding. Yeah. I'm good at hiding my roughness by um, kind of brushing my hair. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, so if we have some little mini breaks in this, it's because we one of we, either William and I have had a health turn uh, during it, so we've taken a break, and we'll but we'll be back. So bear with us. Anyway, the question today. Uh, William teased up just now. It's from Tony in Newbury. I think Newbury's Berkshire. Newbury's in Berkshire, yeah. So it's not too far from Oxford. Um, south, South England, South Southern England. Yeah. And his question is a uh, semi-long one. So here we go. Environmental campaigns seem to be easily dismissed as localized issues and not a national thing, especially here in the UK. But that's seen the world over and a tactic used by governments the world over. Most environmental campaigns are fighting the same issues and as long as the public perception of these are, are that they're local issues, it will always be a David and Goliath scenario. Campaigners are often amateurs with few resources, with the government, developers, etc., their opponents having huge resources and well-paid barristers and a rigged system in their favour. Politicians often downplay protests as localised issues uh, and lazy, suppressed and oppressed journalism all serve in the divide and conquer strategy used to keep the public under control. 
It's not in the politicians' favour to forewarn communities what will be happening to them in the future regarding the climate crisis by revealing in the media what's already happening to other communities. But when the truth creeps out in social media, our leaders dismissed those posts on social media as staged mis and misrepresentation and one-sided. It all seems like the George Orwell book 1984 to me. Isn't it time all small local campaigns pull their resources, knowledge and skills, becoming stro a stronger force, more professional and more resilient against the repression the leaders readily distribute? Another listener who's Pinning his flag to the mast, William. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, that, that when I was um, writing this out, because you record these and I, I type them up verbatim pretty much. Just reading that along as you, as you were saying it. A couple of things, really. Is it that small local campaigns are smaller because they are local? And the only, only the people that are going to be involved in them are, the, are those that are going to be directly or feel they're going to be directly affected now, I, I, I agree with the idea of, I agree with the, the concept or the, the idea of having these smaller groups getting together and uh, becoming a stronger force. But would that actually be the outcome of getting the smaller groups together? Because these smaller groups are still, in your words here, Tony, amateurs. Um, so people, and I think amateurs maybe not might not be the right word here. They're just people who are outside of they're not they're not doing it for a living they're not making money out of it they're doing it outside of their own they're doing it in their own time and uh, that means they, they only have a limited amount of resources but if you have all these, these small groups getting together wouldn't that cause even more chaos potentially because you've got lots of conflicting uh, views and arguments because some people just because they're they they just because they are small local campaigners and they're, they're campaigning for certain things does not mean that they all agree with each other you'll end up you could end up with more with more chaos with that putting out there. Okay, it? I think uh, uh, what Tony is actually insinuating using the word amateur is maybe they're less experienced than the councils and right. and, and, and things. Okay. I, I think that's maybe... Yeah, I take that point, yeah. yeah. Sorry, go on. You are raising a good point, William. Uh, if local groups get together, there's more people to argue with and disagree with. Uh, and it, the, the the local feel is lost. I think again, what Tony's insinuating here or getting at is, it's not necessarily the energy that needs to be spread out. It's more the resources they tap into, like legal advice, like the the, the legal team representing them. It, it, it's the infrastructure. It's it's the stuff they need to do an effective campaign. Then they're free to do what they want. But it's just sort of like. When you look at the councils, they might have multiple small campaigns in their area that they're fighting individually, and they throw huge amounts of money at it to win those cases. Uh, but because there's just no money, uh, the, 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 the small campaigns just don't have any money. But if there was a pot of, of finance or, or, or material resources that you could tap into, almost like a toolbox, it would just make you a bit more powerful against Goliath. I think it... That summarises what I think Tony's coming across. Uh, and, mm. and regardless, making small local campaigns more powerful is not what, what, the, what the, uh, the, the councils or the developers want. So, you know, it, it, of course it's a good thing. But there's one thing that did jump out at me. 
leaders and decision makers and people with vested interests are are, um, are, are saying are dismissing um, issues as localized and not a national issue. Yeah, they do do that. You know, they do that in as many ways as they can, and they've got the resources to do that very effectively. Yeah, I would say maybe that that they again are not affected by those local issues. I would say that that would be the reason for that, and also that there's they 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 obviously is a responsibility as a leader, as a politician, that you should be dealing with all the problems that and issues that are happening, and they are dismissing them as local issues because they don't want to take responsibility for them. That's how I would see that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'd also like to point out if there's anything else you want to say on that, Stuart, because I'm going to go off on a bit of a tangent here. No, go on. Um, you know this whole like, this whole idea, and I've I've heard this the comparison to 1984 several times, not just in the mm. climate crisis but also in COVID. I do wonder just how many people who compare this, and I don't I don't know whether you've you've read it, the read the book, Tony, but so many people compare situations where like this to to the book 1984, and actually have never read it. Do they actually really know what the world of 1984 actually is like? You know, it's a whole idea of, so if you can analogise 1984, it's pretty much um, a, a large hobnail boot squash, pushing, pushing the head down of a person. That is how, that is how, that's how, that's how the, whole, the whole story is. So it's a, it's a nation state that is um, pretty much controlling everything, controlling um, how even even changing the language there's a there's a language in 984 called Newspeak, which is a language that is being not increased but being massively decreased because of the idea of removing language if you can't express something that means you, the, the feeling behind it is no longer there you know that they're trying to suppress mm. that um, I don't think we're I don't think we're anywhere near like that there are hints of it you know it's it's that sort of book um, but yeah, I do. I do wonder how many people have actually really read 1984 and have compared it. I do remember having a conversation with a friend of mine over social media um, because they said that the, the, that you know, is, do you think the situation is a bit like 1984? And I said, no, I don't think it is. The COVID situation that is. And um, I and uh, she said, oh, I think it is. But um, I said, well, have you read it? And she's like, no. <laughs> so well, how can you? How do you know then? That it's like 1984 if you've never read it. That would be my. That would be one thing that I would. I would definitely pull up here. I think that that book often is used as a, 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 as, a as a as a shock tactic. You know, people are trying to use it as a shock tactic. You know, you know the old, whole idea of thought police and uh, torture and that type of thing. Because that's what happens in the book. That's used. It's, that's what it kind of. I think that's what, maybe what, what Tony's using it for in this in this specific statement here. I, I can see components of 1984 all around us, um, but I don't know. Um, it, 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 it's a conscious uh, mirroring of it at all. Have you, have, you, have, are, have you read it yourself, Stuart? Yeah, I've read it a number. Of, there are sections that I can't read because it waffles on in, inordinately. I get the point. I can skip about 30 pages because I, 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 I get this shit, mate. You don't have to keep telling me. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I've, I've, read, I've read it um, pretty much once. So I, I, I first read it when I was 25. I'm now mm. 43 and I've read it at least once a year. It's one book I always go back mm. to. Yeah. And so I, I would say there are components that that are that, that are, are creeping in, but it, it does it does um, it doesn't fit even in really uh, dictatorship countries. It still not doesn't quite mirror what I've read in 1984. No, it, no. It, it's real life, and it's probably in some ways worse because it is real. Yeah. Do you know? Um, do, you, do you know? And do you know why it's called 1984? There's a trivia question for you. 
uh, because it was uh, because it was written in 1948. That was the only real reason she right. picked 1984. And actually, in the book, continuously uh, because because um, basically what happens in in 1984 and what uh, the main character in 1984 does, he he um, rewrites history. He's he basically rewrites the past. <laughs> that's what he does. That's his job as as a part of the a member of the outer party. Um, but the um, had a point there, but I can't remember what it was. <laughs> But, but again, you know, re- history's rewritten a lot in social media by all sides of the argument. Mm, of course um, it is, yeah. The government does that to, to manipulate us. And uh, we, we are, there are com- distinct components. Like, like we have a, uh, we do have a big brother, which is a, 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 our government. And the, 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 ulti- I, I have the belief ultimately their decisions are going to kill us all um, because they're not adapting. But um, but it's still not quite the same. But the the other thing that jumps out at me is politicians uh, when the real news and the truth comes out in social media, it's dismissed. What was it as uh, misrepresentations, staged and one-sided? I can honestly say I can see all sides of the argument being guilty of that misrepresenting the truth. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, because you can. Um, I've I've watched several uh youtube videos around the whole idea of flat earth right so if you see there's t- there's people on both sides of this uh argument uh, slightly ridiculous argument from my point of view but um that you can quite clearly see how somebody's completely edited bits out to make their point yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it's like that happens all the time you know that, that, that what i always find find quite interesting is when people quote do quotes they quote people they quote a book or they quote a film is uh, that it will be can sometimes could be completely out of context. So you get the idea of what the, what a film or piece of creative work work is like from a quote, right? But actually, the whole story is not like that at all. In fact, I'm reading the War of the Worlds right now, which is a H.G. Wells book. I'm rereading that book, which I really, really enjoy, I find fascinating uh, because it's definitely it's a when you read it several times, like I have, you see how. Actually, the story is not about the a war of the worlds, which is what the book says. Is actually putting mankind in the in the shoes of the ants. So mm. the uh, the yeah. Martians are a, are a force very much like us. They don't care about mm. they don't care about us as much. They care about as much as we care about ants. And it puts those in that uh, position. So the war of the world, the actual book title, is completely misleading in that sense. Going back to 1984, I think the reason George Orwell called it 1984 is because that was the year he knew Queen were going to release Radio Gaga, and that and that and the video for that was quite Orwellian. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, his, his name's not George Orwell either. It's Eric Eric Blair. If you really yeah. wanted to know, and anybody who's really interested in George Orwell or Eric Blair, if you want to go and see his grave, he's buried in the church in in uh, Sutton Courtney in Oxfordshire. There you go. Yeah. A bit of trivia for you. Yeah. To to summarise the the key point in Tony from Newbury's question, is it time all small local campaigns pull their resources, knowledge and skills, becoming a stronger force, more professional, or, or should I say more experienced, um, and more resilient against the repression the leaders readily distribute? Yeah, I, th- I think it's the, I think go back, it goes back to that David and Goliath idea. I mean, remember that David and Goliath that, that that David actually won that fight. So you know, there's a way of doing it. There's a way of thinking about it that way. Mm. Even small victories actually sometimes are, are, are victories on 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 a larger scale. Yeah, I think 
as long as long as there it doesn't it doesn't doesn't dissolve into chaos, which it possibly could do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as I don't think as long as the decision making wasn't pulled, I think as long as the resources are pulled, the, the financial and, and the material stuff, you need to keep. I think the decision making. It needs to be influenced by a central reservoir of knowledge. Yeah. But in the, in, the individual decision-making of these isolated, localised uh, campaigns should be, um, should be lo- kept internal. But with, uh, with, with sharing... We've said before about, you know, uh, in, in a previous episode about uh, the cultures in, in the Amazon jungle... They need knowledge. They need access to the internet to give knowledge. We can share knowledge. Mm. So you can share... Knowledge can be shared around amongst localised campaigns. Yes. As long as the decision-making is kept within that campaign. But the resources needed to execute <laughs> that campaign, I think, should be pulled as well. But you're, you're right. You have to pull things in a way that allows people their own autonomous decision-making. And it doesn't, to, as you say, descend into... Chaos. I think, but I think, it also. I, I, go on, sorry, go on. But it, it was about the divide and conquer. It, it, it's fighting that as well by dividing us, by dividing the campaigns. It's an easier way for the governments to conquer the campaigns. But by the campaigns getting too close to each other and losing their own identities, that's just as dangerous and beneficial to the government as well. Yeah, I was going to say. I, my point was going to be. Um, Sometimes, you know, these smaller groups maybe just have to sort of let go of control in some respects in the sense of not control of, like, um, the decisions they're making, but you can... Ownership maybe is the right idea, but because I think you can own an idea so much that you won't want to won't want to let go of it and you won't want to... You, don't, you wouldn't allow any other view, points of view to come in and especially if you're going to start to... Uh, collaborate with other smaller group campaign groups they, they, they might be able to give you ideas and uh, even though it might f- might feel that you're, you're being told what to do if you see what I mean mm. and that's another way of collaborating and being and being a stronger body you know we're not maybe talking about a big group I mean XR is obviously um, a very big group now isn't it so XR Extinction Rebellion yeah XR uh, Greenpeace of course is another group right yeah um, I personally don't agree with Greenpeace or XR myself I'm, I'm not a fan of either um, but that's only my own a personal opinion but the um, and I'm, I'm very happy to get that I have that change by the way I, I, I maybe my opinion is, is not it's not from the right right place but having all these local campaigns pull pull their resources together um, would be a good thing it's just it's just got to be done in the right way and like I said mm. to try and be a lot more open maybe I'm not. I'm not. Not feel you have to own. Own. Be too. Too much of an owner of what you're. What you're fighting for. Okay. I think we should move on to the next question in the next episode, William. This has yeah. been the People's Countryside Environmental Debate Podcast with him, uh, William Ankler. Thanks very much for being with us. Uh, we appreciate every single listen we get of this podcast. It, it's. I, mean, I think every podcaster will say this. You know that that, that you you drive this podcast because. Uh, if you didn't listen to it, uh, Stuart and I would just be literally recording into the ether, and nobody would <laughs> be like into our little echo chamber, wouldn't it, Stuart? And these questions do do really push both of us, both push both of our our uh, opinions. And uh, I'm always I, I've said it recently, I, I've said it in several episodes. I'm always open to to having my opinions be changed, or at least at least uh, 
at least challenge because that's that's that, that's often how how you grow yourself. Mm. And I've been Stuart the Wild Man, Mabbit, the other co-host, and I must tell you, Cliff's back in the next episode. Cliff, Cliff from Radley. Cliff is definitely back in the next episode. It's going to be another interesting one. Let's see yeah. where we go with this question, Stuart. I wouldn't say he was controversial, but he, he, he was. He was. He again. He he glued his flag to the mast. It was no no doubt where he was coming from. I think it was a couple of episodes ago. I can't quite remember. But Cliff from Radley is back. So join me, Stuart the Wild Man Mabber, and William Mankello for the next episode of the People's Countryside Environmental De- Debate Podcast. We release at ten o'clock. British time on Sundays and Tuesdays on all main platforms and many of the small ones as well. Mm-hmm.